What's up, guys? Welcome back to another brand new episode of the Listen to Me Speak podcast. We are on season two, episode 19, and I'm your host, Kayla Taylor. And as always, I want to thank you guys so much for listening to last week's episode, sharing it, giving me feedback. I always appreciate all of the love. There's so much I want to get into, so let's just start this episode, shall we? So, The first look at Jordan Fisher as Bart Allen, aka Impulse, was released, and the poster is not a good first impression. He looks mad goofy, and I know this isn't an unpopular opinion. I saw a lot of people clowning the photo as well. I don't know. It just looks... I know that they basically recreated the comic strip of Impulse, like verbatim. It looks exactly how it looks in the comic, and you can't win with people if you don't do it exactly like the comic. You get critiqued for that, you get clowned for that, and then when you do, there are still some people who aren't satisfied. With this poster, it just looked very kid-like. Um, I know, and I know some people feel like superheroes in general are, are for kids, but obviously they don't know much about the Marvel craze because most Marvel fans are adults. I don't share that opinion. I think that superheroes are for any age, but there are some people who do feel like they're for kids, and this poster of Jordan Fisher looks very, like, kid-like. It looks like if you didn't know it was for The Flash on the CW, you'd probably look at it and think, oh, this looks like some kind of live-action version of The Flash universe for, like, 12-year-olds. It, it, it looks pretty It looks pretty goofy. Speaking of The Flash, I gotta say, I don't know if anybody else agrees, but I've just been so uninterested in The Flash's current storyline. I think it's boring. It's confusing, and I think it borders on ridiculous. Right now, the storyline has something to do with Barry and Iris pretty much creating additional speed forces, and they're kind of like, I don't know if unhinged is the word, but they're unstable. And so because Barry and Iris have created them, the writers have decided to make Barry and Iris kind of like their parents. And so these speed forces take on the bodies of actual human beings and so now they refer to iris and barry as mom and dad which i think is very weird and kind of corny and it makes me cringe every time there's a discussion of barry and iris kind of being like their parents i think it's absolutely ridiculous i definitely think that if they get picked up for another season that it should be the last i think they've lost a lot of steam at this point and they're losing some of their main cast as well the actor who plays Cisco and the actor who plays various Wells because they've created so many different versions of that one character. I think it's gotten ridiculous. So I kind of think that they should have put that to rest. I'm not upset about that, but I am kind of see I am kind of sad to see the guy who plays Cisco go because he's been there from the beginning. He's a essential part of the team Flash. So with him being gone, it's it's gonna be weird. And I can't say I'm overly shocked because I feel like Cisco's presence in the show has waned over the years. He doesn't have as much screen time. I think what part of what made The Flash so great was that team dynamic. And ever since Barry and Iris got married and Iris was introduced into the team, it seems like the dynamic is just not the same. And I know a lot of people give Candace Patton, who plays Iris, a lot of flack. And a lot of it is due to racism. They don't love the fact that a black woman is not only playing Iris, but she gets as much screen time and focus as she does. Um, So that's not where my critique is coming from. I love Candace. I love the character Iris. But I will say that ever since they got married, I think their individuality 
the characters, both Barry and Iris, I feel like they've created this codependency between them. And that's something that's frustrating to watch because they were incredible characters by themselves. And Iris and Barry really, before getting together, they were never the type that really needed to rely on somebody else. They were their own person. And I think that Iris has lost some of her edge in that codependency. And I think Barry lost some of his confidence in that codependency because it's kind of like he looks to Iris to kind of tell him what to do, but he's been the flash for several years at this point. He really shouldn't need to do that. And so I do think the dynamic has changed since Barry and Iris got married and since she was included into the team. And I think that's a big reason for why I think Barry's fight scenes between these villains just aren't engaging anymore either because he's not really relying on the team as much as he used to. So there's a lot of things that I think um, The Flash is missing these days, and that's why I also think that season eight should be the last season. And when it comes to popular superhero shows on that network, season eight seems to kind of be the end for a lot of the shows. I know a lot of the superhero shows are ending. Arrow ended, I think, last year. Supergirl is ending this year. Black Lightning ended this week. I haven't watched that episode yet. And that show has gotten so bad. Like, The Flash hasn't gotten as bad as Black Lightning did. But a lot of superhero shows are ending. I won't be surprised that... I I, I think they've been renewed for season eight. I won't be surprised if next year comes out that that's it's a wrap for The Flash. Moving on from The Flash and their storylines, I wanted to talk about um, Jesse Williams' final episode on Grey's Anatomy. I think that Jackson's exit episode was very underwhelming. I think Jesse Williams deserved a better exit after giving 10 plus years of his life to the show. I may not care for the character, but I do think he deserved a better send off. There's not much more else to say with that. I don't understand why the writers didn't give him more. The episode didn't primarily focus on just him. They kind of focused on a whole bunch of other character storylines that I feel like they could have brought up in another episode. I don't think we, as much as I was interested in seeing what was wrong with Helm, I think that could have been, they could have discussed that in another episode. I think the full episode should have been about Jackson and Jackson only. Just my thoughts. So if you are a huge Disney kid like me growing up, you'll probably be excited to know that Hocus Pocus 2 will come out on Disney Plus in 2022. I'm not going to lie, as a kid, the first movie freaked me out. And I was I was such a scaredy cat because recently I rewatched the movie with my sister last Halloween. And I'm like, girl, this is what you were scared of as a kid? Like, I think that the, the main actress, and I'm blanking on her name right now, but she's a, a well-known and established actress. I think her face... Because they're witches. So I think the way they did her her makeup and, and their makeups, to me as a kid, was convincing and it freaked me out and I thought they were creepy. But I rewatched it with my sister and I was like, this really wasn't all that bad. And I was kind of like thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm kind of a little embarrassed that this shit freaked me out as a kid. But I was like five or six, so give me a little bit of a break. I am interested to see um, where they pick things up with the second Hocus Pocus 2 because it's been so many years. I think... The movie originally came out either in the late 90s, it may have been 98, or maybe the early 2000s. Um, for me as a kid, I was a Disney kid, but I also grew up on a lot of reruns, and at the time didn't realize they were reruns of shows and things like that. And so I got a little older, like Sister Sister, that ended, in, I think, in the late 90s. But the Disney Channel would replay it as if it was like a new show, so I would watch it and 
it wasn't until I got older that I realized that, oh, this show didn't come out in the early 2000s. This was like a 90s show that I just grew up on. So like a lot of my age grew up on in the early 2000s, but we, we, we can, I feel like we can get away with claiming the nineties the too, because we grew up on a lot of the reruns there and Hocus Pocus, even though it's not a show, it was one of those movies where it came out in the light, late nineties, but then it was also being played back to back to back years later. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Hocus Pocus 2 picks up 20 something years later. I think there's a, I think it's, they can make a sequel work. There's certain movies where I'm like, and eh, does a sequel really make sense? But I think the way the original Hocus Pocus ended, which was, I think it's like over a certain amount of years, like on a certain night that only happens like every 10 or, or 20 years, these witches come back to life. And I think, I forgot exactly all of the details, but I think they have to do this, they have to like, I guess, steal the souls of kids. And then like they take the souls and they put it in some kind of potion and then it allows them to stay alive. But if they don't do it before the sun rises, then they're dead again and they have to wait all this long time. So I think that for the sequel, the witches will probably get that opportunity to do the same thing again and they'll probably fail because it's a Disney movie you want that that perfect happy ending they'll probably fail again but I think a sequel can actually work May 19th marked the 12 year anniversary of Glee and when I found that out I felt old because it doesn't feel like it's been 12 years and I think because the show only ended in 2015 it feels like it hasn't been off the air that long that's probably why it also doesn't feel like it's been 12 years Glee was one of those shows where I think I got into the show in season two and then I rewatched season one and then I took and then I fell off of the show for like two years and then I got back into it. It's, it's been a wild ride. And as you know, at this point, Glee is one of my favorite shows. And it's one of those things where we love the show and we also love to clown it. I have so many happy like memories attached to that show. I made some friends because we both love the show. And it's, it's just one of those things where I never, as much as I love Glee, I never, ever want them to reboot it. I know Ryan Murphy in 2020 had talked about rebooting the series and like keeping some of the original cast and then adding new cast members to replace and play certain characters, which I thought was a horrible idea. He got a lot of angry feedback about that. I just think that Glee is a show that worked in its time. I don't think it could work today. Um, and as so many people have pointed out, there are so many certain lines in that show that would not fly today. A lot of jokes that were made that wouldn't fly today. Um, and that's perfectly fine. There are just certain shows. Not everything needs a reboot. And I, I think in 20 years, if they say, oh, Glee's being rebooted, I think I'm going to have like a fit. I think it's just one of those shows that it worked in the early 2000s to mid 2010s and it should stay there. But it's also one of those shows where it's kind of timeless. There, are, there will always be an audience for it. And I think that proof of that was the resurgence of the show in 2020, where we were in a pandemic. A lot of people didn't have a lot of things to do. They were stuck in the house. So they were watching a lot of TV. They were watching streaming services and Glee is on Netflix. And a lot of people were watching that show from the for the very first time on Netflix. And it kind of had this resurgence and, and they were making TikToks based off of the show and um, so it was kind of incredible to kind of see a younger audience take to the show and kind of react to the show how we originally um, reacted to the show when it was actually airing. I think um, I'm in that age now where some of my favorite pieces of media are now having a resurgence. And it's so funny 
and interesting to watch a younger audience kind of enjoy the same things I did. And like I've said before, I still have a plan to kind of do like a, a Naya tribute on a episode of this podcast with a friend of mine who loves her too and loves the show. So it's kind of going to be like a mix of talking about our favorite uh, moments involving Santana, which was her character, and just talking about our favorite moments from the show and ridiculous storylines. And not even just for Glee, like there are so many shows that her and I love that we'll literally be on FaceTime and we'll be like, we'll randomly start talking about these shows and we'll have like this full on discussion about our thoughts. So I think it's like a thing that I kind of, a segment that I kind of want to introduce into the show. And there's so many shows I want to do it with Glee, One Tree Hill. I think she watches Riverdale too, which is a show that's still on, but we can do that. Like there are so many shows we have in common that we can just talk about. So I definitely have to hit her up and like try to make this thing work for real. She'll most likely be my very first guest and you guys are going to love her. She's just, she's great. Moving on from Glee, a spinoff of American Horror Story, which will be called American Horror Stories, is coming in July on Hulu only, I believe. It's a part of their probably FX deal with Hulu. And I'm going to be locked into that series, especially because each episode will feature a different storyline. So this could be really, really interesting. American Horror Story, the way it works is it's like an, an anthology series, which means each season is a different plot with different characters. And so it'll be really interesting to see how they do it by episode. And I think that what I see happening is that Ryan Murphy probably has a lot of ideas for certain plot lines and seasons, and he may try to tease an idea in one of those episodes. And if the episode gains enough interest, he'll base a whole season on American Horror Story on that because he's already kind of teased a whole unexplored universe for that show that he kind of wants to do but also wants the fans to pick from the four choices he gave us I think Bloody Mary was one of the ones and I chose I voted for that one because I think that'll be interesting to see how they tell that story but I definitely see that being the case here he's probably gonna base a whole season on one of these episodes but like I said I'll be looking forward to that I'm also looking forward to watching The Eternals. I already was excited for that movie because a lot of the actors that I like are in it, but after watching the first official trailer, which dropped yesterday, I'm even more excited. I read some of um, the director and Kevin Feige's comments surrounding this movie about how they went about, I think, setting The Eternals on a realistic environment and background versus a lot of the screen screen work that we see in a lot of Marvel movies. Pretty much the director wanted to bring realism to this movie, which is something we've seen in the Dark Knight trilogy where it had more of a realistic background setting and storylines. It felt like, okay, these superheroes are fake, but we feel like these people are really real. They're really dealing with real life problems. And you can see that in the trailer. You can see that it doesn't really look green screen heavy. It looks like they were actually on location, you know, filming on, filming against real environments rather than shooting all their scenes with the green screen, which some, some movies you can really tell, you can really tell. So it'll be a breath of fresh air to see, um, more of a realistic superhero movie again with the Eternals. I can't, I can't wait for it. Speaking of trailers, the new trailer for, um, the Real Housewives of Potomac season that's coming up dropped yesterday as well and it's as messy as you think it's gonna be last season was really good this season looks like it's gonna be really good too of course Candace finds herself in another physical fight with another one of her co-stars and even though I had my feelings about 
Monique and Candace's fight. I don't like how Monique ended up turning out by the end of that fight. I can't say I blame her for getting as angry as she did with Candace, though, because Candace does have a reckless mouth. She says things she shouldn't, and she's also messy. I think the way Monique handled the situation wasn't the best. But clearly there's a pattern here because now Candace is in another physical fight with one of her co-stars. I don't think it got as violent as the one with um, Monique did. I think they kind of just threw food at each other. But I, I can't say I'm surprised that Monique has found, I mean, not Monique, that Candace has found herself in this situation again. I think I'm tired of the storyline with Ashley and her husband, Michael. It's the same story with different people involved. I, I'm surprised she even got pregnant again. I think that that marriage is doomed. I think that, I don't know if Ashley thinks that if she keeps on getting pregnant, it's going to prolong the marriage. I think every most people can agree that a baby does not save a marriage. I think it absolutely makes it even worse. And it's unfair to the child because you know this marriage is doomed. You know you're not going to stay together and yet you're still producing children together. Um, so I, I see that marriage burning down to the ground. It seems like Giselle is still having issues with Jamal. I feel like at this stage in her life, Giselle has kind of forced herself to settle because... I always hear people say that the idea of divorce is daunting because being back in the dating world is like the scariest thing. And I think Giselle probably wasn't satisfied with the men that she was dating and just decided to go back to her ex-husband who maybe she felt more comfortable with. But it seems like he still has the same issues that caused their marriage to end in the first place. He still seems to be cheating. It seemed that the receipts that Monique pulled about Jamal and this girl that he was seeing while he was supposed to be with Giselle, that seemingly had, you know, damaging effects on them getting back together, which is not a shock because even though Monique was messy for doing so, it one, it was a taste of Giselle's own medicine, and two, I believed um Monique's receipts I believe that that man probably was still cheating on her he seems to hardly ever be around when they're filming he's always at work I think he works in Atlanta so I'm not surprised that the, that their relationship seems to kind of be ending I feel like when your kids have such a strong opinion on you not getting back together because sometimes kids do want their parents to stay together I think most kids do but no matter how young or old they are when you see your parents continue to fight all the time and you know what kind of damage your parent has done to the other parent time and time again, of course you don't want them to get back together. And her kids were very vocal about, hey, we don't want you guys to get back together. And she kind of ignored their wishes. And it they ended up being correct. I think everybody around Giselle had a lot of the same thoughts and opinions about her getting back with Jamal. So that's going to be interesting to see how that ends up playing out. And if he actually did have a baby on her or I guess another one because I think he's done so in the past on her this time around too so I'm pretty sure that's going to come out and I'm looking forward to the mess that this is why I watch Real Housewives of it uh, I mean not just I was going to say Atlanta but this is why I watch Real, Ho Real Housewives in general because I love the drama so that wraps up my tv segment for this episode and we're going to jump right into the music my favorite topic of course so I'm going to start off by talking about Olivia Rodrigo, who released her debut album, Sour, last week. And guys, I really enjoyed this album. Like, I really enjoyed it, even more than I was expecting to. Sour is a very solid debut album, and it will allow Olivia to break out of that Disney mold that she's been in 
for years and and I say years but really I think she maybe started that show Bizarrevark I think that's how you pronounced it I never watched it but it was a show that I was somewhat familiar with I think she I think she was on that show and she may have started that show at like 14 15 years old so she's been on Disney Channel for probably a good five or six years at this point, and I really feel like this album is going to force people to not just associate her with High School Musical, the series, and Disney, and she can actually be her own artist that's taken seriously. I think this album did a good job of pushing her into early adulthood without forcing it, which is something that I think these days a lot of ex-acts are able to do a lot easier than Miley Cyrus was able to do and other kid stars like her were, were able to because with Miley, it seemed very, very forced. She put out Bangers, which was this more raunchier, mature type of album, and it seemed like she overdid it. And with Demi Lovato, it was more so a lot of her um, her controversies and her personal life, you know, and her, and her struggle with addiction. It forced the public to view her like an adult because these are considered adult-like problems. And so that was that's how Demi was kind of able to shed that Disney persona and kind of be taken seriously as an artist but with Olivia the music is just allowing her to do it nothing else no gimmicks no forced narratives or not really narratives but like no forced personas are at play here it's just the music I also learned that she also owns her masters which is pretty impressive um it's a pretty impressive thing for an 18 year old artist to do so congrats to her but I'm glad her team clearly pays attention to what's happening to other artists out here and you know Olivia is young so I'm glad they got ahead of that and they said you know what we see what artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Cardi B, other artists even before her have gone through let's kind of make sure that that doesn't happen right here and right now and Driver's License is a huge hit so the fact that she owns that is going to be an incredible thing for her in 20 years. Olivia is a really talented songwriter. She's poetic and creative in how she puts words together. And I think she's a great storyteller too, which could be why I really take to this album. I've said this time and time again on this podcast. I'll say it even more. I really love storytelling and music. So if you do that really well, nine times out of 10, you're, you're probably gonna gain my attention. Certain songs off of this album sound like they belong on a TV show or movie soundtrack. I said this on Twitter, but I'll say it here too. There are certain songs on this album where I'm like, man, this would have been a perfect song for a One Tree Hill soundtrack or something like that. Like this whole album just sounds distinctly like the early 2000s. Like it just, if you could pick something like a soundscape for that time, this sounds like it 100%. And I think that's why a lot of people, they were making jokes like, oh, you know, a lot of, I'm 22 or I'm 23, I'm 25 and I'm vibing to this 18 year old's music as if, like I can really relate, but you know, the funny thing is Olivia is not that far apart in age from us. I think I'm like five or six years older than she is, but it's just funny how you can be a little bit older and you're expecting, oh, you know, this 18 year old is not going to make music that relates to my life. But the thing about her music is that you think back to when you were 18 or you think back to when you were a teenager and how you had some of these same thoughts that she's expressing in this music. And I think that a lot of people from my age group are liking this album because of the nostalgia aspect on it. I think that's really what it is. You can also really hear Taylor Swift's influence throughout this album, specifically from Taylor's Folklore album. And I think it's because Folklore has a heavy storytelling aspect, like Taylor's created all these 
interesting characters on that album and you can tell while listening to Sour that Olivia pulled from her inspiration from that. And you can also hear Taylor's influence in Olivia's vocal style at times. Deja Vu, which is a song on this album, sounded distinctly like Taylor to me, and I couldn't place which song it reminded me of until someone pointed it out that it sounds like Cruel Summer from Taylor's Lover album, and I think that's the one that I was comparing it to. I think it's the melody that sounds familiar. But even though you can hear um, Olivia's influences, she still makes the music her own, which is why she's going to stand out, I think. I do wish she leaned into the pop rock sound more or that there was at least a more healthy mix of the ballads and slower songs with the more upbeat tracks because overall this album was pretty slow. Even if you switch the track list around, it's still a slow album and this could have been fixed with like maybe two more songs that were more upbeat. So I wanted to get into my top five off of this album. My top five are Brutal, Deja Vu, Good For You, which I've already talked about in a past episode, so I won't really dig deep with that song, Happier, and Jealousy Jealousy. Traitor is an honorable mention, though, and I was really stuck between Traitor or Jealousy Jealousy, but Jealousy Jealousy went out to me. So the first song I'm going to talk about is Brutal. If you place yourself in the mind of an 18-year-old who just went through a terrible breakup and is trying to navigate their life and career in the music industry, Brutal is a song that perfectly showcases what that feeling is like. It's a great intro for an album like this. It's angry, aggressive, and passionate. I also love her vocals here. She's not screaming, but her voice is elevated enough, I guess you can say, to tell that she's a little enraged. And again, she pulls off the pop rock sound very well. The guitar is the driving force in the production, and when the guitar slows down, so does her rage, which I think is really interesting. My favorite lines from Brutal is, quote, All I did was try my best. This the kind of thanks I get? Unrelentlessly upset. They say these are the golden years, but I wish I could disappear. Ego crush is so severe. God, it's brutal out here. And I really like that hook because that really embodies what it's like to be young in life where they're telling you, you know, your youth is the best you're going to get in life. Enjoy it. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, not everybody's youth is an enjoyable time. Some people find that they love and appreciate life. They're a lot happier in their 30s and their 40s. So it's like when you constantly hear that, you have, it's like you put this unrealistic expectation of, okay, I have to have this job. I have to be settled in my career. I have to be married. I have to enjoy life. I have to, you know, have no burdens and live life to my fullest because I'm young but sometimes life doesn't work that way and so I think ending that line with God it's brutal out here it's just I think that's how a lot of young people feel it's like you hear all these things throughout your life and 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 you're trying your your hardest to accomplish everything they say you should accomplish by the time you're 30 and that's just not how it works and it can kind of feel it can kind of make you feel like life is kind of hard to live because you can't live up to those expectations. So like I said, Brutal is just a good embodiment of what it feels like to be a 18-year-old or a 20-something-year-old. The next song I want to talk about is Deja Vu. This track has a really dreamy feel to it, and that's largely due to the bright bells that you hear in the production. It feeds into the theme of the song, which is the narrator watching her ex do all of the things with his new girlfriend that he did with her. Olivia's vocals also sound angelic and pretty. I also think the softness in her voice complement the bright bells that you hear in the beat. 
I also love the storytelling in this song because as I listen, I can picture it playing out perfectly in my head. My favorite lines are, quote, and I bet that she knows Billy Joel because you played her Uptown Girl. You're singing it together. Now I bet you even tell her you love her in between the chorus and the verse. And also, quote, watching reruns of Glee, being annoying, singing in harmony. Because, same girl. Now, she admitted that she's never actually, when she wrote that line, she's never actually seen Glee before. But again, this album really embodies the early 2000s and Glee was technically a show that started in the early 2000s so I feel like it's little gems like that that make me appreciate a lot of the music here and I think a lot of us this was like a popular line in the song that people were running with on Twitter because I think we all of us who loved Glee can definitely (laughs) relate that show made you feel like you could just break out into song no matter what even during inappropriate times so I I that line stuck out to me just because I thought it was hilarious the next song I want to talk about is Happier One of the best songs on this album, hands down, it's probably, other than Good For You, it's probably my favorite song. Vocally, it's also the best song on the album. Happier is the better ballad, I think, out of all the ballads on Sour. It definitely surpasses Driver's License to me. The piano sounds gorgeous, but once the drums and the bass stagger in, along with the passion in her voice, it takes the song to another level. It's a beautiful track, and it's well-written, too. It also gives a lot of drama, which every great ballad does. My favorite lines here are, quote, I hope you're happy, but not like how you were with me. I'm selfish, I know. I can't let you go, so find someone great, but don't find no one better. I hope you're happy, but don't be happier. And I like this line, too, because of how she sings it. She um, she extends, I guess you can say. She extends... Um, the word happier so that it it rhymes with happy so it's one of those things where if you hear it you can understand what I'm saying and I think that was a clever way to make those lines fit together and rhyme the last song on this album that I'm going to talk about is jealousy jealousy it's one of the more upbeat tracks on the album and it's a standout because of Olivia's tone on the song I guess you could say if I'm saying that right because it just gives the song a lot of color and also I really like the edgy production the bass is to die for. There's a lot of good bass moments throughout this album too. I really like the theme of this song too, of feeling jealous of other people online living the life that you want and acknowledging your own jealousy. This song is just a really, really put together record too, just in general. I just love the song. My favorite lines here are, quote, I'm so sick of myself. I'd rather be anyone, anyone else. My jealousy, jealousy started following me, which I also think is a good play because she's literally means that her jealousy won't leave her alone. It's constantly there. And also because she's talking about social media, it's kind of like the person she's jealous of is now following her. And now she's subjected to being jealous because that's all she sees on her timeline now that this person follows her and she follows them. The music on Sour speaks for itself And Olivia was able to live up to the hype of Driver's License and make music that I think surpasses it. And it proves that she's not a fluke. I think she's got a great career ahead of her and Sarah was a good start. This album sounds like an 18 year old trying to find themselves and their sound. So for her next album, I hope to hear more growth and I hope to hear her lean more into the pop rock sound. Moving on from Olivia, I also wanted to talk about YG and Mozzie who released their collab album, Community Service. And again, I like more songs than I thought I would here. I never go into a YG album expecting something amazing because to me, he's a one-dimensional rapper. 
He's good for West Coast bangers, and that's pretty much what you get on this album, too. High-pitched synths and West Coast flows can be heard throughout this entire album, and if that's what you're into, you'll enjoy this album. If not, then this album gets old very fast. The top three songs from Community Service is Gangsta, Vibe With You, and Perfect Timing. So I'm going to start off with Gangsta. This beat is straight up lifted from 50 Cent's Wangsta. The producer didn't even really try to switch anything up. At most, they added a slight West Coast feel to it, but it does work. YG also glides over the beat, and it's the best I've heard him sound in a little while, and I think it was a strong way to start off this album, even though the rest of the album doesn't really keep up with the tone of Gangsta. The next song I wanted to talk about is Vibe With You, which features Ty Dolla Sign, one of my favorites, of course. I think this is the best song on the album. This track captures the essence of the early 2000s lovey-dovey rap. You know, when the hard rappers did love songs with R&B singers, Vibe With You captures that perfectly. I love the beat and the guitar loop is the best part. Ty and YG always have good chemistry and this song is another good addition to their long list of collabs. The last song I'm going to talk about is Perfect Timing, which features Blast, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I've heard of him, but have never heard him sing. But he is the standout part of this track, along with the beat, of course. Again, the producers who worked on this album provided them with some good beats, and I love a good guitar loop because I think guitars are so pretty and they add something magical to, to music. Perfect Timing is another standout on this album to me. So all in all, despite some redundant songs and some stumbles, YG and Mozzie managed to create a few songs that are worth replaying on this album, and the three songs that I mentioned are some of the probably only songs I'm going to return to on Community Service. Moving on to more of the new releases from last week, Russ is back with another new song, and I'll only focus on the songs I really like since he releases a new song every Friday, but this new one, which is called 315 Breathe, is so, so, so good. I love when Russ gets in his singing R&B bag. It shouldn't work as well as it does for him, but it does. I love when he puts out records like this. Like I've said before, I could listen to a whole project of songs like this from him. The best part of this song is the sample, which is a song called Breathe by Jax Jones. I think he built a really good song around the sample, and though it's a major highlight, it's not the only thing that's carrying the song. It just drives it further. The lyrics are really well written too, which is the other major great part of the song. It also gives me nostalgia too, and like I keep saying throughout this out this this episode, which I, I think I'm gonna name it this at this point, it really does sound like something from the early 2000s. I feel like a lot of artists are kind of letting go of their obsession with the 90s and in dabbling into other de decades as well. You hear a resurgence of the 80s in pop music and in R&B and rap. Right now, you're hearing a resurgence of the early 2000s as well, which to me, a decade I grew up in, one of my favorite decades of music that I feel like is underappreciated. So it's nice to hear artists kind of return back to that. My favorite lines from this are, quote, damned if I do, damned if I don't, drink tequila, I can't drive home. And I really like these lines because I love the melody. I also like, quote, I'm not in love, it's just the game we do. I tell myself I'm not that into you, but I don't want to sleep. It's quarter after three, and now it's hard to breathe, which is directly from the sample. And funny enough, I did tweet Russ and say that this was one of my favorite songs that he's released, and he responded and he agreed. I told him that the sample was nuts. He did produce this track, so it's all him. 
And um, a lot of his fans found that tweet and started retweeting it and liking it. Hopefully, I can um, tag him in this episode when it drops so he can hear this review. But um, I I remember getting on this podcast and saying that I think that it's crazy that he drops a new song every week because of oversaturation. And even though I still think it's excessive, he's proving that it works. And he's independent, too, so he's literally reaping all of the benefits from all of this. And I will say that I think I, I don't know if I said it last week or the week before, but he's been dropping songs that I like pretty consistently. I remember in the beginning, it was kind of like I'd like a song and then the next couple of weeks I wouldn't like those releases. But lately he's been releasing songs I really, really like. I don't know if he's going to end up putting all of them on a project at some sort or if they're all going to remain Lucy's. But um, I really, really do like this record. Good job, Russ. Moving on from Russ, Amorphous dropped the lead single to his upcoming project or album. I don't know what he's considering it. It's a song with Kehlani called Back Together. And it's a fun and fresh song with high energy. I think Kehlani excels in R&B, of course. But it's really nice to hear, hear her on a high energy song that's danceable or club worthy. And you can definitely hear the influences of Missy, Janet, and Aaliyah in his production and in the song too. It's definitely on my summer playlist. It's that type of record. The Jonas Brothers also released a new song with Marshmello called Leave Before You Love Me. This song is a nice pop record, which is something the Jonas Brothers do well and have restructured their sound as a band as. It's, you know, they've been producing a lot of pop music. It's a pretty simple song and perfect for the summer. Joe's voice stands out to me on this song. He sounds really good. This track is a perfect fit for him. Usually when I listen to the Jonas Brothers, usually Nick has a lot of the standout parts in a lot of their records, so it's nice to hear Joe kind of get a standout part himself. I can hear some of Fleetwood, Ma Fleetwood Mac's influence in the production as well as some 80s elements sprinkled in. Honestly, I think it's amazing that the Jonas Brothers still make good music in the 2020s. My favorite lines are, quote, I'll just catch a ride, I'd rather be lonely than wrapped around your body too tight. Yeah, I'm the type to get naked, won't give my heart up for breaking. They also announced a tour for late August. I did, I was interested in trying to see if I can get tickets, but they don't, they only have one New York date and it's in Syracuse and I'm not trying to go all the way out there. Hopefully when they actually drop their next album, they'll go on another tour and it'll be obviously a lot of tours that have been announced for this year at least have been a lot um, they're more condensed. There's not a lot of dates because COVID and they can only perform in certain arenas. So that explains why they don't have dates in the city or anything like that. So hopefully by 2022, when they drop a new album and they go on tour again, they'll be, they'll perform in Brooklyn or Manhattan or somewhere close where a friend and I can go to see them because I, I'm blessed enough to say that I got to see them in concert during the height of their Jonas Brothers craze. But I would love to see them again. I'd love to hear my old favorite songs from them. I'd love to hear their new music live. So hopefully that is something that they do. I'm pretty sure they will. And my friend Amna, who's also a huge Jonas Brothers fan, I'm telling you, me and that girl, we're like connected. We're so alike. It's crazy. She got to see them on their Happiness Begins tour, which was so dope. And so hopefully when they go on tour again, her and I can go together this time. So the last uh, new release I wanted to talk about was Lil Nas X's new song, Sun Goes Down. And though I liked Montero, Call Me By Your Name, I like this track so much better. 
because finally, as a listener, I feel like I'm getting to know Lil Nas X outside of the shock value and trolling that he does. It makes me look forward to his debut album because if it, if it has songs like these, then it means the album will have some heart. I also love the guitar in the production and the melody. I think Lil Nas X and Take a Day Trip have really good chemistry too. He produces a lot of Nas's music. I think that he'll probably produce the bulk of his debut album as well. My favorite lines from Sun Goes Down is, quote, It's hard for you when you're fighting and nobody knows it when you're silent. Because I think that that's something that a, a lot of us do where we just would rather fight our battles that we're going through in silence rather than trying to burden somebody else with our problems. So again, I'm really looking forward to his debut album. I don't think it has an exact date yet. I think it's, he just said that it's coming out sometime in the summer. I imagine sometime next month, um, which will coincide with Pride Month as well. So that would be dope. I think that his EP7 had a lot of stumbles and I think it was because Old Town Road was such a big record at the time. They probably didn't know how to produce a record that was going to be bigger than that. And maybe that's where they went wrong too, because every artist has that one big hit song that they're never going to be able to duplicate, which is fine. You can create other big records for yourself. And I think that this time around, he spent a lot more time working on this this album and and trying to distance himself from Old Town Road. And I think at this point that won't hang over his head anymore. He won't be that one hit wonder because he's proven that he's had other hits. Not a hit as long that ran as long as Old Town Road, which is impossible. I think that record ran for 15 or 16 weeks on um, the Hot 100 chart. I think it surpassed a Mariah Carey record, which you know, she's like one of the queens of Billboard. So that's a feat in itself. Um, but yeah, I think that if he's coming out with records like Sun Goes Down, that album is going to be worth listening to. So the Billboard Music Awards came on Sunday night, and I only really watched the award show because Drake was being awarded with the Artist of the Decade, and I feel like, I love, first of all, I love the montage that they did for him. I, I think it could have been a great album trailer because it reminded me of the Views album trailer. I think they had LeBron narrate a little bit of the video, and it's incredible to see Drake get his flowers. And I know a lot of people think he's overhyped and in a lot of ways Drake is very overhyped. But as someone who has been listening to Drake from practically day one, who feels like outside of the streams and the numbers talk that Drake doesn't really get his flowers when it comes to his skill and the music itself. Um, it was great to see him finally get his flowers and, and get this award because Drake really has been running things for a decade. Like this man, the impact that this man has had on music is incredible. And it's something that he deserves to be awarded for. So, and it's crazy to me that, you know, I feel like Drake in a lot of ways came out yesterday. And so the fact that it's now 10 years later and he's getting this award is, in, is incredible. I think a lot of his music has shaped a lot of our soundtracks to life. Like I owe a lot of my teenagehood to, to him, to Nicki, to the whole Young Money era. And so that was incredible to watch him receive that award. It, to me, it was a very big deal. I do wish they did a little bit more for him, but you know, we're in COVID times. So they, they probably couldn't do as much as maybe they would have if COVID wasn't a thing. Um, it's crazy to me that he's also a father now. He had his kid out there. Poor Adonis. Like, he definitely should have had headphones to protect his ears because I know 
that crowd was extremely loud and he probably hasn't been around a huge crowd like that before so i i really did feel bad for him because he he did end up crying by the end of drake's speech but um yeah congrats to drake and even though i only watched the billboard music awards for drake i am glad because i didn't really it seemed like their lineup this year was kind of lacking there wasn't a whole lot of performers and there weren't a whole lot of performers that I particularly cared to see. But I didn't realize that Alicia Keys and Pink were performing that night. Alicia Keys um, did a, a medley of her songs from Songs in A Minor, which is an album that's so important to me. I loved that album as a kid. I remember being obsessed with Fallen. That was my favorite song as a kid. And my Nana, and I always credit her for this, she gets the full credit, she had her album. And as a kid, I'd always be like, Nana, can we hear Fallen? Can we hear Fallen? And I, I don't remember, but I kind of think Fallen was either the last track on the album or it was later on in the album. And so my Nana would put on the CD and she's like, no, but when we listen to albums, we don't skip around. We don't skip around when we listen to albums. We listen to albums front to back all the way through. When we get to Fallen, we'll get to Fallen, but we're not doing that skipping around stuff. And that had an impact on me because ever since she told me that, whenever I later went on and listened to CDs on my own, I didn't skip around. I listened to them front to back because that's the way I was taught. And so we would sit in her living room and we'd listen to Alicia Keys. We'd listen to this album and I'd get so excited when we finally got to Fallen because it was my favorite song ever at the time. And Alicia Keys, my household is definitely an Alicia Keys household. Again, as a kid, a lot of her music was also the soundtrack to my life. Absolutely love her. And it was incredible to see her also get her flowers and to celebrate an incredible album like that. I, I know a lot of people like to talk shit and say a lot of things about Alicia Keys, that she's not the icon that she is, but she is. And you can hear a lot of Alicia Keys's influence and style and a lot of R&B acts today, like her, like Ella, like you, you really do hear it. Even Tiana Taylor, whenever... I hear like a really pretty piano ballad in R&B, I just automatically think of Alicia Keys. She's had a lot of influence. And so it's great to see her celebrate that. And it was a nice little medley to hear. She could have sang the whole album for all I cared. I would have been tuned in. I would have been engaged. So it was a great to see her celebrate that. With Pink, of course, there's some of that same conversation. Oh, you know, Pink's not an icon. I, I really don't think that, you know, she should have deserved an album that went to Prince and went to Janet in the past. It went to Stevie Wonder, I think. And my thing is, Pink is a great artist. She's got great music. She's a great performer. She's a great vocalist. She may not be as influential or as impactful as Stevie Wonder, as Michael Jackson, as Janet. But I do think that she's also an artist that's deserving of her flowers because again, her career has spanned decades. She's made a lot of our favorite records if you grew up in, in the era where Pink was popular and in, in her prime. And I definitely think she's someone who deserves to be awarded. I don't think she's someone who gets her flowers all of the time. And watching her performance and her doing her medley of some of her classic songs reminded me, I'm like, of how much I loved Pink. Like, I already knew I loved Pink, but it reminded me of how much I loved Pink. And it took me back to my Pink phase, which I had, I think, I was like a young teenager, like 12, 13. And I really loved her music. And the thing with Pink these days is she doesn't make music that I really necessarily connect with today and I know she's older she's married she's a mom she's evolved 
She's been making music. Her career spans decades. So you're going to evolve as you should. Um, but I do think her music has gotten very generic over the years. Now, it's not bad music, but it's just very generic. And Pink was never generic most of her career. She's always been very bold, which was why I took to her so much. She was a woman who was so bold. She was not afraid to say what she thought. And she had such a great personality. And I think she gave voice to a lot of young girls who felt like they didn't fit into like the mold that society wanted them to be in. And so for her to go from that to kind of making more generic pop songs, I just kind of fell out of touch with her music. And I still think it's incredible that she is still making hits. Her song, What About Love, is a song I couldn't get away from. I still can't get away from it. It's a song that I liked and now I hate because working in retail, that's all they played. They constantly played that song. I think it's incredible that she still played on radio constantly with new music. So I don't think that we talk about Pink's longevity a whole lot because she, like I said, she still manages to make a hit. I think she has a hit. Every time she puts out a new album, there's at least one or two hits on the album. But I think for me, around The Truth About Love, which was in 2012, that to me was the last really good Pink album. And, and from there, it's kind of been just generic pop songs. But I think that not every artist has to be an icon. Not every artist has to be. I definitely think that Pink deserves to be talked about in high regard. But like I said, not every, not every artist is going to be an icon. Not every artist is going to really, really shake the table. But I do think that Pink carved a lane for herself and for some girls that followed her afterward. Like I think the, most, the, the singer that pops in my head that she's probably influenced the most based on how they sound is probably Halsey. I, I see a lot of Pink's influences in, in Halsey's music. Um, so I definitely think that she's someone who deserved to be awarded. And be, her being an icon, whether you think she's as big as, as certain artists who have received the award in the past is his own conversation. But I do think that people get caught up in that and then they don't, re they don't like um, appreciate or respect what artists like Pink have brought to the table and, and the music that the good music that they've left us with. And that's why I love when artists do get their flowers and they get to do these performances and they get these awards because then it allows fans like me who have kind of fell out of touch with their music over the past couple of years and it reminds us how much we love the music and it, it causes us to return to the music like I've been doing. I've been playing her ever since that performance. Like I even made my own little pink playlist. And I've been returning to a lot of her older music that I love. And then it allows people who aren't familiar with Pink's music, which to me is a shock because I feel like you probably know at least one or two Pink songs, even if you don't realize that that's who it is. But it allows a newer generation to also listen to that medley and be like, oh my God, I like this song. What's it called? Or I like this song. Man, maybe I should check out her music. And after these performances and things like this, the music just, the streams and the sales just shoot up. I'm pretty sure after that performance, her music shot up in sales. I'm pretty sure Drake, the same thing, and same thing with Alicia Keys with songs in A minor. I'm pretty sure those streams shot up because then you have fans returning to the music because they forgot how much they loved it. Um, so pretty much to wrap up my thoughts about the Billboard Music Awards, I only came to watch Drake. I am glad that I ended up seeing Pink and Alicia Keys perform because they had some of the better performances of the night. The weekend, I didn't see his full performance, but I did see a clip and he sounded great as usual 
you know, just the award shows just aren't the same. It's like a chore now to watch them. And I think because a, a lot of these artists these days, and this is no shade, this is just what I see, a lot of them aren't performers anymore. And part of what made award shows so interesting were the performances. That's why we really tuned in. Like, yeah, we tuned in to see who won certain awards, but we really stayed for the performances. And you don't have people, you don't have artists that put on performances like they used to. They just, now music is all about a vibe or you know, it's, it's very slow or it's just a quick, for a quick hit record, there's no real effort in anything else. There's no effort in music videos or performances like there used to be. So I think that's also why the award shows aren't the same. I also think I've outgrown them a lot because a lot of the artists that I like, they don't attend these award shows anymore. So I think that's kind of why I haven't been really engaged with them within the past five years or so, I would say. But yeah, the Billboard Music Awards were no different than any award show. The next award show coming up are the iHeart Awards. So more people that I'm fans of will be performing. So maybe it'll be better. Usher's hosting. I go up for some Usher, you know that. Um, so I'm going to check it out and hopefully I enjoy that one more than I enjoyed the Billboard Music Awards. So before this episode ends, I wanted to get into the song of the week. And the song of the week is Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. Of course, I've been playing this song ever since it came out. I'm obsessed with it. it like I said, it really takes me back to like when pop rock was really the sound. And it's just a really, really good song. And so I was like, you know what? I might as well make it the song of the week because I, I play it at least once a day. Uh, maybe that's why my, my AirPods are kind of glitching out on me because I've been blasting the song like crazy. If you haven't heard it yet and you haven't heard Olivia's album... I really suggest listening to it. It really is good. And um, if you can get past the hype of Driver's License, you know, this album is really worth it. You know, I think it surpasses a lot of the music on Sour surpasses a lot. Um, Driver's License a lot. And Good For You is just one of those standout tracks. So if you haven't heard it yet, check it out and let me know what you think. We have come towards the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to me rant and ramble for almost an hour. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere where you can rate podcasts. If you want to keep up with this podcast even further, then please visit my website, www.listentomespeak.com. There are links to all my social medias, and you can follow me there, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even YouTube. Again, it's www.listentomespeak.com. And if you want to support this podcast even further, then please donate to my listener donations, which can be found on my website or on my anchor page. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves, and thank you for listening to me speak.